Hey there, welcome to King of the Ride Podcast. Ted King here. Now, it just occurred to me that we are nearing our five-year anniversary, or, or birthday, or whatever you call it, in podcast land where you celebrate an annual milestone. I started King of the Ride during the Giro in 2018, and here we are with the Giro underway in 2023, a half decade later. Crazy. So, maybe not, not the Midas touch, but recent King of the Ride guests are on a roll our last guest, Russ Finsterwald, he won BWR San Diego, and I would argue is off to his best start to his season yet. Two episodes ago, we had Heather Jackson. She also won BWR, and then switching sports, she backed that up just two weeks ago with a win at Canyon's Endurance Run 50K. And our guest today, Cole Patton, is on a scorching start to his season. Now, it's been a pleasure to watch Cole over the years. I think I met him straight out of college. He was a mountain biker turned, uh, let's call it reluctant deer in the headlights gravel racer. And whatever he's been doing over that time has worked because he won a breakout Mid-South in 2022. He's racked up international wins with several gravel races in Spain already this year. And he sits third in the Lifetime Grand Prix. I just said and, and we'll give him another and. And he's just tallied a second place behind the seemingly indomitable Keegan Swenson at the Whiskey Off-Road a week or so ago. Now we're going to talk about all things, his early days as a bike and ski shop grom, his meteoric rise in the sport, how he's had to make some major life pivots in cycling, just given the climate of the sport, and how that's only been for the better. Given that Laura and I share lots of goals and athletic aspirations, I've really been impressed with how he and his girlfriend, pro mountain biker, Sevilla Blanc, make it also work, too. We caught up at a park bench in a camping section of Laguna Seca. It is the day after sea otter. Please excuse fly-by airplanes, the drive-by tractors, any kids chirping in the background. That is the real-world studio. And speaking of the real-world studio, I'm recording on my phone because... I've somehow misplaced my recording equipment. Speaking of the real world, I prefer to get my nutrition from real foods here in the real world. And that is why I start my day every day with using AG1 by Athletic Greens. Delivering 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients. It promotes gut health, supports immunity, boosts energy, and lots, lots more with a simple daily scoop. I'm a person of routine, and my routine has only improved with the addition of AG1 by Athletic Greens well over a year ago. So, right now, reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition with Athletic Greens. They're going to offer you a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D for free and five free travel packs, which you will begin to know and love and understand why I love them so much. With your first purchase, all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Ted King. Again, athleticgreens.com slash Ted King. Take ownership over your health and pick up your daily nutritional insurance. That's it. That's all. I'm excited for this one. Please enjoy my conversation with Cole Patton. to my office. Uh, we're here at the RV 
campsites overlooking sea otter, Laguna Seca. And we were just talking about how much of a scrum it is. Uh, how, many, how many sea otters have you been to? I think this is like maybe my eighth. Whoa! Yeah, quite a few, but I was here when I was super young. Yeah. Now it's a whole different experience. Yeah, uh, which I imagine, I mean, you were talking about it. It's hard to go from point A to point B. If you know that you need to get across the venue, what normally would be a four-minute walk is going to take you 45 minutes because you got to talk to people. That's fun. It's great to catch up with people that you really only see once a year or once every six months or every two years, depending on how, how frequently you're at the event. And then probably especially because now you're you're reaping what you've sown. You're a pretty damn fast bike racer. Uh, people want to talk to you. Congratulations on a great race yesterday. Yeah, thank you. You I finished. really appreciate it. Fourth? Yeah, yeah, I was fourth. I was I was really happy with that one. Yeah. I, I've been working for, for this event for pretty much all base season and uh, yeah, I really wanted to come out strong for the Grand Prix and yeah, yeah I'm stoked on it. I, I felt really, really good and really proud of my ride. I believe it. So fourth overall, third in the Grand Prix. What, okay, my background, I got into cycling on a mountain bike, but I did that in a dabbling sense, and then I was a road racer and now inadvertent gravel racer. Um, people will talk about this course and say, oh, it's easy. It's a, it's a roadie course. It's easy. But, but contrary to that, the top, I don't know, 10, at least top half dozen are pure, pure mountain bikers. Yeah. So there is something to be said about being a mountain biker at this race. Absolutely. I, I think people really underestimated the technicality of the course out there. Yeah. Um, I came and actually pre-rode a week in advance just because I wanted to see what it was like. And I was floating around in the van in California. And my first lap, I was like, holy crap, this yeah. is a lot more technical than years past. And I think that's mainly due to just all the rainfall that we've had here in California uh-huh. there were so many eroded sections and the course was just super bumpy but then really sandy in other areas so it was just this constant changing terrain where setup was just so key yeah. um, so I, I was really glad that I was able to get out and, and pre-ride it I think that was a big advantage uh-huh. and yeah the mountain bikers were swinging from the start yeah. <laughs> as they usually do uh-huh. well right it's, it, the race starts with a Effectively, an uphill sprint and a hole shot. Yeah. As opposed to a gravel race that's like easy yeah. 50 miles and then you start racing. <laughs> but it is like, it is literally full gas from the gun. Like yeah. It, it was, I've raced cross-country World Cups and it was like that. It yeah. was full-on start. Everyone was wanting the hole shot. There was a big advantage to getting into the single track and even just the top five. I think that's kind of where the, the yo-yo snaps uh-huh. after that. And uh-huh. Then you're you're chasing um where did you enter single track i actually got caught up in the cement barriers a little bit and and kind of bobbled i think i was eighth or ninth and then i made a few little sketchy passes that were maybe too risky (laughs) again Uh but we were excited and then and then we had a uh, a separation right off the bat after the first descent there was a group of seven of us mountain bikers and we started to rotate really well together and stayed stayed away from from then on that group just slowly started to wither yeah it's funny i mean it reminds me of um the advantage of the outdoor studios you get a little bit of everything here <laughs> yeah right um 
It reminds me of watching Drive to Survive, the Formula One series, right? Are you familiar with it? Yeah. The best guys qualify at the front, and they start the race at the front, and then they're at a mega advantage. So to ever move your way through the pack, I mean, mm -hmm. it reminds, or cyclocross is another great example. Like yep. the best guys start at the front, and they just continue to pull away. So, so in order to come into the sport, no different than World Cup cycling, mountain biking, you need to be exemplary to move, pick through the pack, even at the start, and get earn some points to move up, to move up, to move up. Mm -hmm. um, the point being. To your point, yeah, the, the best guys entered the single track first, and then they just pulled away. Yeah. Um, this this course has a bunch of single track, and then there are a bunch of fire roads and double uh, double track. Is where are you rotating in on the fire roads? I mean, like, who's going to pull? Mm -hmm. Are you guys pulling like a wicked long section? This is a naive question about mountain biking. Mm -hmm. When you're in single track, is there any rotation going on? No, but usually, like, if you're in a group, you want the strongest rider or the the most technical rider yeah. to kind of lead and, and show the lines to, to the group and whoever's going to carry the most speed through the single track should theoretically be leading those sections um, and that's just kind of like an unspoken thing of course there's the tactic of like blocking sure. if you're a slower rider uh -huh. but um, if you're really working together then usually you'll let the quicker riders go first and then try to hang on and then as soon as you get to a double track section it's just really quick rotations yeah. you know just constant and so who in that group of six, seven, half dozen, who has the best technical skill? Who's leading the most? We are actually all really strong. Yeah. Really on, everyone was on point yesterday, which was exciting. We had um, Keegan, Finsty, Chris, Howard. Yeah. Lesby. Right. Alex Wild. Yeah. I mean, it was it was awesome. We, we had a really good group and, uh -huh. and we were working together really well. Trading off the single track sections, I... I was kind of struggling. I couldn't quite follow the attacks that were starting to be thrown towards the end. But since I knew the course super well, I was able to just ride my pace and slowly kind of uh -huh. crawl my way back up there. How about taking one step back? Obviously the Grand Prix. Let me take first further step back. This race is a great stepping stone for the year ahead. So wanting to do well here was a priority. The Grand Prix is a priority. Mm -hmm. When you look at a calendar of 2023, what are what are the biggest goals? For me, it's I'm all in for the Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, I think that I really learned last year that I couldn't overcommit myself. Uh -huh. um, I got to the end of last season and I was just ready to take a break and pretty pretty burnt out for those last few events and yeah i felt like i really plateaued um and it was just because there's so many amazing event, events that i wanted to do yeah and i'd i'd never really embraced all of these i was going to a bunch of different gravel races uh -huh. i was still trying to race cross-country mountain bike races and i was trying to do the grand prix yeah and so um yeah i, I learned that that's not really sustainable for me I'm, i don't really have that much volume in my legs yet uh -huh. and so um this year i'm i'm trying to be a lot more strategic with my calendar and yeah i'm i'm just targeting those seven events and then sprinkling in a few mountain bike races that yeah. make me happy and and that i enjoy so yeah six lifetime events last year they added a seventh this year in the form of what the rad yeah, Red Dirt Fest in Trinidad, Colorado, which is a gravel race. Yep. Correct. What are the what are the mountain bike races that make you happy that you're going to be doing? 
Uh, next week I'm going to Whiskey 50 uh-huh. in Prescott, Arizona, and then Grand Junction off-road. Yeah. So both marathon-type mountain bike races, and then I'm doing Downeyville Classic, oh, sick. which is the... In, in quotes, all mountain world championships. Yeah, that's supposedly uh, a legendary event. I think. Yeah. That that doesn't overlap with Unbound. No, no, it's the week after Tusher, okay. which is the, a Grand Prix stop. Gotcha. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be driving the van back and forth. Right on. All over. And are the there's another series? Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm definitely speaking out of school here. The single track series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that because I, I've heard rumblings of it, but I don't totally know what it, mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah, so my really good friend, uh, also former teammate, Stephen Davis, sure. he, he really felt like there was this kind of lack of technical mountain bike racing now in the States. Yeah. We have the Grand Prix, which is great, but um, yeah, like, like you said earlier, I mean, some people even would consider this like a roadie course uh-huh. here at Sea Otter. And Contrary Steven, to every roadie yeah. here's opinion, but <laughs> right, I right. believe it, I believe it. Um, but yeah, Stephen really wanted to bring together the true, raw, technical mountain bike races, mm-hmm. and so he, he reached out to four events, which are already existing and have a great reputation of being gnarly. Mm-hmm. And um, that's uh, Moab Rocks, Grand Junction Off-Road, Whistler Backcountry, and Downeyville. Right on. And so those four are now the single track series where we can race pure mountain bike races. And um, I went to Moab earlier this year, raced that. Uh-huh. Super fun, super hard. Yeah. Um, I, I really felt the, the lack of technical mountain biking that I have not been doing. That's wild. Um, that says a lot. Yeah. I'm not going to say that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it's just super fun. It's nice to get back to that and be on the full suspension and using every millimeter of it Yeah. and really pushing that equipment. And then, so as to the cohesiveness of the series, Mm -hmm. these four events, they're previously existing events and they're I mean, I suppose no different than an unbound, I mean, sorry, than, than the Grand Prix. Anyone can register, anyone can do them one-off, or there is they are now part of an amalgamated series, mm-hmm. which is is actually pretty impressive that the uh, event organizers said, yeah, I'd like to be part of it, because as much as a rising tide lifts all boats, you give up some sort of autonomy mm-hmm. by saying, yeah, I want to be part of it, which I guess is a bigger, bigger stepping back question of like what is the state of mountain biking in north america that's what we're trying to figure out and, and that's kind of i think the the motive behind the series is to to at least unify the calendar uh-huh. to be like okay let's try to get the pros at at these events let's try to make this a thing uh-huh. that that people can can go to and we're we're seeing um i guess for the last few years we've been struggling with getting UCI races here. Yeah. But there's been huge efforts by US Cup to, to get some points back in the States. Um, I guess if you're not familiar with the whole yeah, UCI the thing, it's, uh, if you're racing World Cups, then you're you're called up on the start grid based on your UCI points. So okay. um, it's so important to be racking up these points as much as you can. And it's a huge advantage to be 
in Europe because in Europe you have a UCI race happening every weekend. And so there's just always an opportunity to get points. So this is hugely important to get those points to have a better starting position because mm -hmm. we were saying 10 minutes ago, it's all. Yeah. So much of the race is whole shot. Exactly. The, okay. the first lap is so important. Yeah. And so your position is so important. And so your UCI points are so important. And so um, as an American or a Canadian, or even if you're, if you're just not in the continent of Europe, then yeah. um, it's, it's a struggle. Good luck. Most people just have to move to Europe to get these points. Uh -huh. And so that's really, um, it, it's really kind of been a challenge for American uh, mountain bikers. And who are in pursuit of World Cup races. Yeah, and, and the Olympics. Got, um, it, got it, got it. And also it's really important for your Olympic qualification too, uh -huh. because that all depends on how much, how many UCI points your country has collectively. Um, so it's been, it's been hard and a lot of mountain bikers have been living in Europe. Um, I was in Spain earlier this year for three months because yep. my girlfriend Sevilla is all in chasing UCI points. Yeah. And so she made trips to Greece and she was racing UCI races in Spain and just racking up points as she could. Already in 2023. Yeah. Oh, in geez. 2023. Okay. That's a, that is a big chapter of what I want to talk about. So keep going. Yeah. Um, but then she had a few opportunities back here in the States in Arkansas at the U S cups, which were great. Sure. Um, and, and we're starting to really see some momentum growing, um, especially with the women. Um, they're on fire, and we have some really strong U23s coming up. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Blevins, of course, is on fire. Sure. Um, so we're starting to see this new generation um, really n knocking it out of the park and, and getting some big results. Uh -huh. um, but the UCI scene is pretty small here. And so most of the other mountain bikers in the States have been drawn to this huge wave of endurance racing uh -huh. in the form of gravel or the Lifetime Grand Prix or even these marathon races like Whiskey 50, Grand Junction, yeah. and now the Single Track Series. Um, but everyone's kind of trying to figure out where they fit in and, and what to go for. Um, and with with the Grand Prix for me and I think most of the other riders it's kind of a no-brainer yeah it's there's so so much buzz around it and this it's just this whole new style of of racing it's this like this off-road racer now it's yeah. not a gravel racer it's not a mountain bike racer you're just uh you're an off-road racer and, saw, uh, down at the show, I saw a big poster of Payson, and then underlined the byline was uh, Payson Calvin, off-road endurance rider. Yeah. I mean, because it, it, that's so encapsulating. Okay, you have to take four words to say it, but, like, because yeah. he's a rider in some events, he's a racer in other events, everything he does is off-road and endurance. You know, yeah. Endurance is generic, but it's yeah, yeah. something big. It's this this new animal. Yeah. So it's and it's really fun to be to be part of it. And uh -huh. there's there's just a lot of hype around it, which is I'm I'm super thankful for. It's yeah. It's awesome. It is pretty dang impressive. Um, I mean, we had no idea what the Grand Prix would do at the beginning of last year. It was a thing, and people were excited about it, and it could have gone any direction. And now here in the second year, it's it's going gangbusters. Mm -hmm. um, I think. We look at the state of cyclocross and a lot of the things you're talking about with, with 
chasing points and doing things domestically or internationally, um, you see the same parallel, right? And there's, it's cool to see in America there's so many early season races that draw a European audience, both for their European riders to, to you know, spend time with their American sponsors, but then also to accrue these points, and then that sets them in motion for the rest of the season. Granted, the cyclocross season is short, and, and they can, I guess, sort of... Uh, cohesively put these races together even though our country is enormous mm-hmm. and that that sets them up i'd be curious you know we see a constant ebb and flow of popularity of different disciplines of cycling in north america mm-hmm. mountain biking you come to see out especially it's like it's so cool and yeah. that's what i love about it it's like you know it's the 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 meme you know mountain biking is the spirit of gravel yeah um but this leads me in any number of directions. It reminds me of your Instagram byline. Do you know what it reads? Uh, <laughs> ju- ju- just a mountain biker racing gravel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a mountain biker that races gravel. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. I remember, I want to say, reading a story, probably in Vela News or Cycling News or something like that, talking about your... It was probably two years ago, maybe even last year, maybe three years ago. It was like talking about how you got into gravel effectively and sort of your your early phases in off-road riding racing mm-hmm. you are a mountain biker mm-hmm. born and raised washington state yep talk about that how'd you get into cycling yeah well um so my family has a sporting goods store no up in washington yeah right on arlberg sports okay um in in central washington and primarily bike and ski so i skied all winter i i raced alpine, downhill skiing. alpine okay yeah excellent and then in the summers uh rode mountain bikes yeah and that's that's kind of what what really got me started and, and has been a major influence on my life mom and dad are the original sponsors in the original Definitely. sporting goods store yeah for <laughs> sure and they still uh I still get my bikes built up and, and serviced there all the time. They're oh, shipping me parts when I'm breaking yeah, stuff. Yeah, they prioritize you to the top of the line when you need something worked on. It's it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in a really small town. It was just primarily ball sports, football, uh-huh. basketball, baseball. And I felt like I was the only kid that rode a bike. And um, luckily, I had a ton of support with my family. But um, it wasn't really until I moved to Durango, Colorado, that I was really like hey, I can maybe do this to start in college yeah yeah I, wa- I wanted to, to to continue racing my bike but it was a non-negotiable that if if I was gonna still race I had to go to school and for me Durango was the only place mm-hmm. that I saw that being a possibility mm-hmm. and did it, you look at other schools no I one and done <laughs> one and done sight unseen I'd never even visited Durango I just knew that <laughs> Todd Wells was from there. Yeah. Howard is from there. Christopher was there. Yeah. So I was like, that's where I want to be. That's outstanding. And um, I really lucked out. It was it was huge for me. I met so many amazing people. So many of my best friends were are from there. Yep. Sevilla and I got together there. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was just this this whole kind of lifestyle change of just seeing how professionals professional cyclists lived and trained and yeah um it started to just be uh more and more accessible for me to just see what it was like did and you race did you race for the college yeah yeah i Which raced a, for i love i mean collegiate racing is amazing yeah especially at a powerhouse program like that uh-huh it was it was so good fort lewis college um i think the biggest thing for me was that 
it, w- it was just so grassroots. Yeah. Um, we had almost 150 collegiate cyclists on the team. That's so nuts. This massive trailer that would just be filled with bikes, yeah. and we would all camp at the races in tents. Yeah. And it was just, uh, it was so low-key that I think it was the only way to, to make it sustainable through college. Yeah. All of us were cramming schoolwork uh-huh. on on the van trips to these races and pre-race donuts yeah exactly the collegiate antics that make yeah. collegiate racing good yeah it was it was super fun and um what'd you study i did business and marketing uh-huh. and um yeah it, it, i felt like it it really helped me be able to be in the position i am now kind of trying to put together yeah my own program and and yeah and so referencing that Velo slash cycling news article with due respect to the writer and whatever it was. I, unless I'm completely making this up, there was a time that you you didn't know what was going to happen, right? You didn't have mm-hmm. a team. The state of North American mountain biking wasn't amazing. Was mm-hmm. it? Maybe that was a story about how you ended up on Orange Seal. Yeah. Is that? I mean, that was sort of a, a last minute thing that is through tenacity, hard work, and, and being a good bike racer has put you in good stead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, during COVID, it was really hard. That was right when I graduated school and was trying to go all in being, being a pro cyclist. And, um, there was just no races. There were no UCI races. Um, my wife's in there. The shrieking you hear is, is my daughter. Mom's there. All good. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love this. This campsite. It is amazing. Up. It's this little nice oasis away from the craziness of Sea Otter. And so good that you skip the trans, the, the, the migration in and out every day. You're just like, yeah. oh, I'm going to walk three minutes right. to bed <laughs> on wheels. So true. Um, but yeah, I mean, okay. through, through COVID. Yeah. Yeah, through COVID, um, both civilian and I didn't have contracts renewed. And it was really crunch time for us because we were just out of school. Um, there's no UCI racing really going on, and um, I I was pretty down about it. I didn't really see a path forward at the time, but um, Sevilla really kind of slapped me in the ass and said, "Let's do this." And um, and we also were so fortunate to to meet up with Orangeville at that same time. They really saw the value in us being a couple and and really trying to pursue uh-huh. cycling. Um, and that's kind of what brought me down this path of off-road endurance racing um, yeah i they threw me in to a bwr mm. and brought me to mid-south and kind of just exposed me to this whole different world that i was just not aware of really i i was so focused on just chasing uci points and chasing the olympic dream um and now two years later I'm I'm so stoked to be doing what I'm doing. I'm having so much fun doing it. Uh-huh. It's I'm not having to spend so much time in Europe in hotel rooms. I mean, I'm in the van. I'm I'm with all of my amazing friends here, and and I I love it. I mean, uh-huh. this scene it's it's thriving, and and I'm super stoked to be part of it. It is wild. Um, yeah, probably. Okay, so that is reminding me of the story. Probably, if you were to backtrack to your mindset, then. If you were to say where you are now, you, I mean, it's it's almost so outlandish. You wouldn't have even guessed. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of felt like like I was uh, failing. Yeah. You know, like 
I, I'm not going to make it in in cross country mountain biking. So let's settle for this gravel thing. Uh-huh. And and it took me a while to to accept that and 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 then shift my mindset to embrace it. Like wait wait a second, this is actually this is the thing now. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's been up until this year where I've been like that this is really what I feel like I was meant to do <laughs> and I love doing it so had you done road races not to say that no never you're never really doing any drop bar stuff until you were on the team and they said yeah well you have to go do this BWR thing yeah BWR okay. was terrifying yeah I had never been in a group like that I I didn't understand pack dynamics yeah or, yeah and just got thrown right into it. I think well, yeah. the the longest training ride I did before that was like three hours. Oh jeez! <laughs> and I was I came straight from mountain bike nationals to that event. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had. I, it's been a couple years of of rough final halves of gravel races. Yeah. I feel like I die and then just limp it to the finish line. Well, you're figuring it out pretty darn well. So, I mean, that makes me want to leap off in any number of directions. You and Sevilla had basically parallel programs, I suppose, from maybe in your collegiate days, from the the time of Orange Seal on. And now this year, it seems like you're doing a very uh, asymmetric program. Yeah. You're very much focused on the super long endurance stuff, and she's going full World Cup. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. How has that worked? I mean, you've talked about the time in Girona. Uh, yeah. How, how has that been? It's been really good. I think the... The hardest part is that we're not going to spend as much time together. Um, she's going to be in Europe a lot this year uh-huh. while I'm over here, and we don't have any overlapping races. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, wow. so she was here uh-huh. at Sea Otter, but she was running support and uh, helping me meal cook meals and yeah. do my feeds, <laughs> which was amazing. Right? I think we'd much rather be one person supporting one person racing than both racing both racing is a challenge it's so high stress yeah um but yeah it's it's been really good i felt like last year we tried to mix things up a lot um i had really tried to continue racing some xco stuff i went to nationals i went to the u.s cups and it just wasn't sustainable with everything else I was doing, and and vice versa. Sevilla was, she came to Big Sugar, she came to Mid South, uh-huh. and for her style of training, it it didn't make sense either. Um, it was amazing to be together, but I felt like we both compromised. And um, kind of after reflecting from last season, we we decided that we both just need to go all in and and embrace these these years because we're we're just about to reach our peak and yeah and we need it's going to be hard but we have to support each other and um and and really dive into to where we're going to be most successful yeah and um so she she got a great ride on a great um world cup team in france and so she has an awesome opportunity to to chase her dream and um and i was able to put together a really great program that kind of brought everyone that's been supporting me over the years together, uh-huh. which I'm super stoked on. The privateer program is very funny because it, I feel like no, among all of us, everybody does it a little bit differently. And not to say we use the same sponsors. I mean, like, just how it's pieced together. What are the priorities? What are all of it? 
we're just writing the script, right? So how have you done it? Do you have a manager? Do you, you talked about hinging off a lot of the relationships you already had. Mm -hmm. Are you doing all negotiations? How does that all work? Yeah, actually we, we have a manager who's been so helpful for us. I think that, um, we both really didn't quite know how to value ourselves. Yeah. And that was, that was a huge struggle for us. And it's also really intimidating to be negotiating with these global marketing people. Uh Um, and so that was really helpful just to, just to kind of have that support and then also just lift that workload, um, off of our shoulders. Um, because it, it was really wearing on us and, and also it's, it's opened up a lot of doors for us too. Um, but I also love having personal relationships. So, um, my, my managers, they really just kind of help iron out the details in the contract and then I'm in charge of all day-to-day communications yeah. and content, activations, everything like that, which is super exciting for me. That's yeah. the stuff that I love. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I have a, I have a pretty good uh, relationship with it now. And um, yeah, it's been a, a huge learning process, of course. Uh-huh. But um, it's nice to, to feel like I'm getting some momentum going with, with, what's, with my program. Well, it's a good-looking kit. Your kit in particular looks great. Thanks. Uh, yeah. yeah, you've pulled together a lot of a lot of really great things. This makes me think of. I'm switching gears, but it's actually going to be quite related. Um, yesterday was the first time that I raced a mountain bike with a power meter. Uh huh. You raced with a power meter, I presume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on a scale of totally laissez-faire and a total uh, uh, analytical nerd, where do you lie in that range? You know, I'm, I've actually been been working on this because in the past I've been total analytical nerd. Okay. But throughout this year, I'm starting to learn that that's it. Kind of holds me back more than anything. Uh-huh. And um, I've been actually working with a, an amazing sports psychologist, uh, Sarah Mitchell, who's been helping me with this. And um, I don't even look at my power meter anymore. Oh, right on. Yeah, I, all I have on my Garmin is just time and distance. Nice. And um, I got like seven <laughs> data screens going. Yeah, yeah, it's just. I can tell you the barometric pressure wall. Right. <laughs> that that's uh, that was so me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I felt like I I just get distracted by it, and uh-huh. then I wouldn't really be paying attention to how I actually feel. I'd be yeah. looking at these numbers, and no matter what, I'd either feel like. Oh, I could push harder or wow, my legs are terrible. Yep. And it just kind of get me into this negative mindset. And, um, up until recently, um, I think it, I think it really held me back. And, um, yeah, yesterday was one of the first few races that I just didn't even tune into what I was pushing. And, um, and it was great. The result speaks for itself. Yeah. So I, I misspoke. I used a power meter last week at the Grasshopper, which is a very punchy mountain bike race, uh-huh. and then yesterday for the for the second time. And what I what I found really interesting is if I do it a hard gravel race, a hard training ride. If you have um, on your y-axis time and your x-axis your different zones one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. it would be reverse asymptotic so you have a lot of time in zone one a little bit less time in zone two a little bit less time in tempo 
a little bit less time in threshold, a little bit less time in VO2, right? Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. Like you want to be, if you're efficient, you're spending the most time as you possibly can in recovery zone one, zone two. Uh -huh. Whereas when I did a, a mountain bike race these past two weekends, <laughs> it is basically coasting, zero watts, yeah, no zone two, virtually very little time in, in tempo, and then a ton of time in threshold VO2 yeah. uh, uh, anaerobic, just like sprinting. Totally. Which, when I look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like pulling my hair out. I'm in a different time and place in my career than you, but you know, training for me with two little kids as they're chirping behind us is catch as catch can. I, I do what I can when I can as best that I can. Um, what the, my question is, how do you hone your training knowing that there's a race like yesterday, which is mm -hmm. super punchy, and then also a 10-hour unbound? Yeah. Really and, good question. <laughs> yeah. Go. That's, I mean, that's just the nature of the Grand Prix. It's uh -huh. like there's going to be a compromise no matter what you you have races like yesterday you have unbound which is 10 plus hours you have schwam again which is hour 40 there's your problem you need to train for a 10 yeah. sub 10 hour unbound and then yeah. you're going to win it don't say 10 plus say sub, <laughs> sub 10. 10 all right sub go. 10 um yeah to be honest my approach um i'm really not doing anything special for unbound unbound's kind of just the outlier that I'm going to go into with no expectations, uh -huh. hope for the best, but um, not dig a super deep hole uh -huh. in, in training. Um, for me, I just feel like doing so much volume for that would really take me a long time to recover from. Yeah. Um, so I'm really kind of focused on preparing more for the Leadville type efforts and the, the high elevation races, which would be the third stop of the Grand Prix, which is Tusher, a gravel race. And then- A doozy of a gravel. Yeah, high altitude. Race. Uh, four hours, 10K of climbing. All altitude. Oh yeah, and then Leadville next uh -huh. month, uh -huh. massive altitude effort. Trinidad, another massive altitude effort. So um, I guess to answer your question, that's that's kind of where my training is, is focused on and then, um, I think that I still have enough punch from just so much time, I guess, racing mountain bike races that I'll be able to get through Schwam again. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, last year I, I really noticed after that four-hour mark that I struggled. Um, it's going to take maybe a few more years for me to get to that nine, ten-hour mark. Yeah, but yeah we'll it's sort of just like cumulative time, unless your name is Tade Pogachar. Yeah. Who I think has paid enormous dues in his teenage years. But that's a, a story unto itself. Um, well, yeah, there was so much questioning before the Grand Prix. Who's going to do well? And I, from the very beginning, not to say I had a crystal ball, but I was like, mountain bikers are going to freaking crush it mm -hmm. because they have the punch and they're in inevitably... Endurance comes with training. Mm -hmm. So it's the seasoned mountain bikers that are going to do exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose no surprise. And then, yeah, if you're going to be training for a six-hour Leadville, okay, whoever's going to do well in six hours at Leadville is going to do really well at ten hours of Unbound. It's just like you are coasting the final four. And yeah. who, has, who has any gas left in the tank? Yeah. Um, you have seemingly done an atypical approach in that for the past two years, I think, 
I want to say North American mountain bikers are often going to chase good weather in the desert of North America, mm -hmm. Arizona or Tucson, and, and that is certainly working well for a whole bunch of mountain bikers here. Yeah. You've, you've gone to Girona. Yeah. Where did that, and which is typically a uh, destination for road racers and yeah. world tour racers. How did that come up? Yeah, well, um, my coach, Dennis Van Winden, he lives there. Former colleague of mine. Yeah, in, yeah. In many ways. Yeah, Dennis is awesome. Uh, he yes. really kind of kind of influenced us to go over there and with with orange seal we did a, a big training camp there last year now orange seal starting their orange seal academy where they're supporting 12 athletes with coaching and mechanic services at races and they had a another really big gathering camp there this year and so we were part of that and girona it's a destination for for roadies but the mountain biking there is super underrated it is like the place for technical mountain bike training. That's and, crazy. And so it's it's kind of the best of everything because uh -huh. I didn't even have a road bike, but I had my gravel bike, and I did some amazing road rides that were all time, of uh -huh. course. But Sevilla was there doing super technical and specific cross country training on her mountain bike every day. That's awesome. Um, and so it was really just. The, the best place for both of us to be. We were there with Dennis. I was able to train with Dennis a ton. Um, and then there's just so much racing happening there. I, I did two gravel races, uh, a couple mountain bike races. I was training through them and, um, and then Sevilla was able to do a ton of UCI stuff. So it just made sense for us. And then- So how big a period were you there? Uh, three months this year. Wow. And I felt like I didn't really want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I maxed out my 90-day period uh -huh. of time. Um, Are they cutthroat on that? I don't know. When I... We were we were trying to, to figure that out, but we decided not to yeah, roll the dice. Yeah, it's better to ask for, for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. <laughs> uh, suffice it to say, I lived in Girona for five years, over a seven-year period, and... Uh, it was only towards the end of that time that people were really beginning to, to, to worry about and get their paperwork in order. Yeah. But it was a constant point of conversation. Like, hey, how's, how's off-season been? How's the training been? Do you have your paperwork lined up? Yeah, I know. We totally noticed that, too. <laughs> Everyone's working with, like, the same yes. lawyer. Yes. Oh, he's still there. He's still making the same Yeah, box. I know. It's, Did it's you get hilarious. your NIE? I, the, that's I, yeah. the, the numero identificacion, uh, whatever. <laughs> it's like your, it's the first path to legitimacy, but it, I think it really means nothing. Yeah, it's, it was crazy. That was a, a major shock for us. We, we were so just like oblivious to it all, and then we got over there and we're like, wait a second, this doesn't quite add up. We're gonna overstay. Yeah, and so then it started to get stressful. And yeah. No, well, okay. Now we learned. So on the straight and narrow. He was there for 90 days, no more. Yeah, perfect. exactly. Perfect. <laughs> How about um, if there was a breakout race in my mind, it was Mid-South. Yeah. You, you won that in very impressive fashion last year, 2022. Uh, was that a tough decision to, to not go to it this year? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had some, some major FOMO yep. watching that from Spain. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it was it was huge for me last year. I didn't expect that. It was super fun. I love that event, and uh, Bobby does such an amazing job. And yeah. it's just like the the beginning of the year, uh -huh. um, 
and yeah, I was bummed to miss it. But uh, yeah, I was trying to maximize my time with Sevilla, and sure. at the same time, she had a ton of UCI races happening in Spain, and so I yeah had to sacrifice that one. But yeah, it was it was good to be with her there. It's not a rock and a hard place. It's like you're stuck between a pillow and a really comfortable mattress you know yeah it's like two good decisions <laughs> yeah so right on um well where do you go from here you got whiskey up next yeah i go to prescott arizona for uh-huh. the whiskey 50 and, and then from there i go to grand junction for uh the off-road race there i think they're calling it rides and vibes yep yep someone was telling me that yeah. i was like that is the most mountain biking name i've ever heard i know rides and vibes man i know it's so funny and then uh then i'm gonna spend a week in durango then i'm actually gonna do my unbound prep um at my family's place in washington yeah because so. central washington's high and hot and dry yeah i mean yeah. it's kind of spot on yeah it's awesome what's and the next race in the grand prix unbound is it yeah oh geez yeah so we have we have some time uh-huh. but got to start putting some hours yeah. in on the gravel bike we again. got time and it also time flies it'll be mid-south uh-huh. here in no time yeah exactly um okay well we wrap with three questions very difficult questions number one who is the number one person that you would like no that is not it i've never botched these i just botched it <laughs> Question number one, what is your favorite place to ride? Number two, what is the number one place that you would like to ride that you've never ridden? And number three, with whom would you love to go for a bike ride? So, since I botched those, I'll repeat them again individually. Favorite place to ride a bike? I have to say Girona. Yeah. It's been it's been amazing. I feel like I still have just barely scratched the surface there. I believe it. Yeah. It's funny because my last year there was 2015 and you would always see gravel roads but like talk about the youth of gravel as a genre yeah you would never fathom going on it because we were riding tubed tires and 20 at that point 25s and you're like well that looks kind of cool i'll just keep going here it was insane there must be so much off-road riding i was there for three months and i felt like i didn't do a route twice and like every day i'd come back and be like that was the coolest route ever. Yeah. And it was just it was just so motivating for me. This is the first year that I've really like done high volume uh-huh. and it just went by so quick. Time just flew. Yep. So it was it was awesome. Where would you like to ride that you've never ridden? Hmm. It's a hard one. Yeah. I mean, I really I've ridden there, so Okay, we'll Maybe it doesn't count, but take it with a grain of salt. Squamish, BC. Ooh. I've done one ride there uh-huh. and would love to go back there on my mountain bike yeah. and, and, like, really get it, get a taste for it. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, if you're hardly scratching the surface in Girona, then Squamish yeah, would be. N- yeah, exactly. <laughs> a different story entirely. Um, and with whom? Living or otherwise? Yeah. Who do you want to go for a bike ride with? Hmm. I mean, I have to say, Sevilla. I was going to say, she's my like, ride partner. Okay, it's like it's, it's too like, perfect. If yeah. You say something else, you might be. I know. I might be in the doghouse. 
Uh, no, we don't we don't get a ride together so much anymore, uh-huh. just because our training's so different and um, and yeah, we we have such limited time now together. But I think that it was really hard for her to see me going on these huge epic adventure rides while she was doing like very specific interval training. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I'd love to. I'm I'm excited when we get to the the point in our season where we can just go out for a super fun long day and yeah. plan an awesome epic route. Nice. That's perfect. I dig it. Well, yeah, you'll be cruising on, on the momentum of the season soon enough and you'll be able to go for those rides or it'll just be off season. That'll be amazing also. So yeah, I dig it. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on an amazing weekend. Thanks. Man. Uh, I hope it sets you up for an awesome 2023 and I look forward to watching. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been an honor. As always, thanks very much for listening. Now, if you have, let's say, 22 seconds to spare right this instant, please open your podcast app, hit the review button, and leave a review. Five stars are preferred, but whatever you think is reasonable, I will take it. Comments are even better. Share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. There you have it. Until next time, folks, please enjoy the ride.